And so what we want to do for just our little while here is to be able to get a little capture, capture what's going on in this passage. And it's a very important passage for us today. Like I said, on Monday or Tuesday, I would have not have said it was a really important passage. Now, I look at it and I think, you know, this is a very important passage. In fact, this passage speaks in one way to younger people, middle-aged people, older people, very old people. For every one of these areas, it has something significant that we need to understand and to see what God has for us. And so I talk about this. We're talking about fathers and parents. I am very, very grateful. I'll always be grateful that I had great parents. I had great parents. I had great grandparents, I'm told. I didn't really know them. They were, I was too young at that point to know it. But they were people that came from Sweden and Norway. Uh, there was so much hunger there and so much few opportunities that they came to America right in time for the, you know, the Great Recession, as we call it, or more than that, the Depression. And yet they made a life for themselves. And I'm so thankful that they came to Sweden and Norway and that they came here and the impact that they had. So I'm very, very grateful for my family. This is a picture that I've loved for a long time. That's my father up there sitting on my grandfather on Seabright there along the coast. And I look at that picture and I think, what a story they have to tell. Now a lot of us, and my father was you know, famous about this. Wherever we went, we had to take a hundred pictures of everything. But just one picture that kind of grabbed me was this one of saying, okay, there's my dad. He's now with the Lord. There's my grandfather. He's way before the Lord. He's with the Lord. And I think, I look at that and I think, thank you, Lord, for these people who my father, my grandfather never really learned to learn English. My mother would be so embarrassed because if there's other people around, my grandfather said, if we go learn now, we're going to do this, we can learn the English. And my mother go, oh, please don't say that, Daddy. And you don't have to hide down in the hero, honey. Don't stand up, you know, sit up. She, was, she just didn't get it right. And he never got it right. But you know what? He knew the Lord, and he loved the Lord. And so I'm always going to be grateful for the ones that I've had, that my fathers and my grandparents have had. That's been a big thing for me. And so this passage has a real significance for me. But here's the passage, and it comes out of Exodus chapter 20, verse 12. If you want, you can look in your Bible. Exodus chapter 20, verse 1 and 2. We're going to be looking at this passage in just a little bit. But notice the passage. Honor your father and your mother. We stop right there. Most times in the ancient world, the woman is never remembered, never written down. There's some examples of where it does. But in general... If, even if you look through the Bible and look through the genealogies, most of the genealogies, male, male, father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son, father, son, until you get to the end. Then there's a few women that are in there. What's interesting in this passage, it's very clear. Honor your father. Now, if it stopped right there, people in the ancient world would say, yeah, we get it. You do honor your father. The ancient people, mostly they were, most of those cultures were very big about honoring your father. So, but here it's different. Honor your father and your mother, which makes it interesting because there even thousand years ago, they were saying it's not just what dad does or what dad teaches, but it's what mom does as well. So honor your father and your mother. And then it goes on with this passage that's in orange. So you may have a long life 
in the land that your Lord your God has given you. It's the only passage we have where it describes the, in the, here in the book of Exodus about having a longer life because you're honoring your father and your mother. Now, let me be clear about it. I'm not saying that this means every person works this time. There's examples in the Old Testament of people that seem to really honor their family and things didn't go right. But in general, in general, it seems to be what the passage is saying is God honors those who he honors those that are our family, our mothers, our fathers. And again, you know, there's times where there are people, a person gets hit by a car, okay? That's a tragedy. But in general, his point is saying that God wants to honor those who are honoring their parents. And that goes with children, it goes to adults, depending on your age, of course. So honoring your father and your mother is an important passage that we're working with in, in here. So I'd like you to turn in your Bible, if you would, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6 is this passage where the, God's people, have, um, it, it's a reminder of what God had did for them over the, over the time. And so I'm going to be picking this up in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1. It goes right along here. You'll see this passage. And then there's a second passage, 1 to 8, and then it's another short one. So this is the passage. It's Deuteronomy chapter 6. Listen to this passage. This is the commandment. The statutes, the ordinance, the Lord your God has instructed me to teach you. This word teach is going to come up a lot. To teach you so that you may follow them in the land that you're about to enter and possess. Remember, this is when the people of Israel came out of Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, and God was now giving them the opportunity to have these areas that they can be having their uh, places where they can live. And so he said, do this so that you may fear the Lord your God all the days of your life by keeping all his statutes and commands that I'm giving you, your son and your grandson, and so that you may have a long life. Verse 3, listen, Israel, and be careful to follow them so you may prosper and multiply greatly. Why? Because the Lord... The God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. And a phrase that's used a lot in the Old Testament. And then he says in verse 4, and this is a verse most all of us are very familiar with. Chapter 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. You've got it right here. Shema Israel, right here. Listen, Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Now notice this in verse 7. Repeat them to your children. Notice that. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let there be a symbol of your forehead. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Jump over to this passage right here, to verse 20. Chapter 6, verse 20, I mean, right here in this passage, where verse 20, same chapter, verse, tw verse 20. Notice what it says. When your son asks you in the future, what's the meaning of these, of these cat statutes and, and, create and ordinances which the Lord our God has commanded you? I tell you, remember, again, he's responding to this, 
you were slaves in Pharaoh's Egypt. But the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Before our eyes, the Lord inflicted great and devastating signs and wonders on Egypt, on Pharaoh and his household. But he brought us from there in order to lead us to end, to give us to the land that he swore to our fathers. The Lord commanded us to follow all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our prosperity always. Righteousness be ours if we're careful, careful to follow all those commandments before the Lord that he's commanded us. These passages are making the point again of the fact of what God has done and particularly how crucial it is that parents are teaching their children. Now, I'm very grateful for all the people that teach and all the teachers we have. and We've had teachers in our group here. We're grateful for that. But it's saying it can't be just what's happening here at the schools or whatever it is, homeschool. It's making sure that the parents are actually involved in what's going on. They are the ones that God gives them that opportunity to do it and how critical that is. And so in this passage, it's talking again, saying this is part you have to do. You have to make sure that people, your, our children, are understand what's going on. So here again, here's this passage. Why honor your father and your mother? I mean, why do they make such a big deal about it? Because it's a big deal in God's eyes. What's big in God's eyes ought to be big in our eyes as well. And this is exactly what he's saying. Why honor your father and your mother? I mean, I'm not proud of this, but um, like many young people of my age, I did not do well with my parents. I had great parents, wonderful parents. I'm very thankful for them. I'll always be thankful for my parents. But it sure got hard. And my relationship with my mom and dad continued to go down the drain. And most of it helped, I mean, most of it was because of the war. My father kept saying that, you know, President Nixon is a wonderful, godly man because he paid, you know, he plays, you know, with uh, Billy Graham, plays golf with him. He must be a wonderful thing. We've got to keep our men in, you know, Vietnam. And, and I was like, we've got to get out of Vietnam. You know, the French tried to do this and it didn't work. And why are we doing this? And we had all these discussions going, and my father started getting mad. I was reading socialist material, uh, reading about Ho Chi Minh, uh, reading about communism. I didn't really like it that much, but it sure got my father roaring, and it made it very, very interesting. Uh, and, and not helpful, but inter um, it, was, it was there. And so it happened, and things got worse. And I, you know, I really I went back and forth. And sometimes I thought, you know, we've got to support our men in Vietnam, whatever it takes. Then the next day, somebody else would tell me something that said, no, we've got to stop the war. And we were having sit-downs in our school. We were having movies and stuff. It was getting really bad. Of course, the Vietnam War was getting worse and worse as we went. And my father particularly, it was very hard for him. He was in the Navy. He saw men being killed in the, in the Pacific. And so for him, the military was a very important part of his life, of his story. And to have people saying, oh, here's these people. They don't think we should do this. We want to end the war. Stop the baby killers. Some of you are old enough to remember that. All the baby killers who are out that doing that. Did you kill a baby today, soldier? And so things were getting really bad. My relation with my parents was going really bad. And what happened for me, for example, was it took some time to realize I really wasn't as smart as I really thought I was. 
There's an interesting thing, and maybe you can remember this. Honor your father and your mother. One of the things that really made another thing problem for me was music. I got home before my father and my mother did, usually, not always. And so they'd get home, I had the records going. Of course, Beach Boys, you know, you had to have them. The Beatles, particularly. But I had all these weird ones. Aqualung, does anybody remember Aqualung? It was a weird, it was a weird mood. That was really queer, it was really strange. But yeah, the, I was really into music. So what would happen, I'd have the stereo going just about as loud as I could and my father would come in and immediately turn it off. And he would put on Salvation Army band music. I don't have any problem with Salvation Army band music. Some of it I really like. But my father was so angry. Get that junk off here. He had other words that I won't use to describe what he thought. Which is, why would you even call that music? And you know, I love that music. And again, we were having these clashes that were going between us and it made it more difficult. So between the war and with the music issues, it was very, very strange because we had such a wonderful relationship for so long, but somehow in that late adolescence things, things just started going really bad. And I really knew that I knew much more than my parents did because I knew that how smart I was. Uh, and it didn't seem to always work out that way. In fact, it's interesting. I got a new appreciation of my parents. Anybody remember who this person is? Can you see it? He wrote a number of books. Who is it? Samuel Clements, otherwise known as Mark Twain. Mark Twain said this, and this had me written all over about it. Listen to what he said. When I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished how much he'd learned in seven years. I love that phrase because that's part of my story too. You know, I wasn't as smart as I thought I was and my parents actually knew something. And they had never, you know, they'd never gone to you know, college or anything. But they learned a lot about life. And I realized there was a lot that I need to earn, learn from my parents. And things really got a whole lot better. Kathy and I were dating at this time. Kathy's father was not particularly fond of me. I guess that'd be a good way to describe it. After we had a large argument that went deep into the evening, and I made some comment about people were stupid who went to Vietnam, and Kathy's father said, my brother's missing in Vietnam. And the fool that I was, I just kept on arguing rather than saying, I am really sorry. He was never found. Still don't know where he was. So things didn't go too well as we started dating. And it made me, many times, to start thinking, I'm not as smart as I think I am. And there's a lot that my mom and dad can teach me. And I'm grateful for it. A little bit later, my father, we started, every week we would try to get together and have lunch together. And I really valued that. To listen to him talk, tell about the war, tell about his experiences. And I'm always grateful for that, for the time I had with my parents. And that was a really important thing. So here, one of the big things, it's the role of teaching. The role of teaching. One of the important things that we're doing, I'm learning again from my parents, that was good. But it's so important for us to not just say, we're going to let other people do the teaching for us. It's like important for parents to be involved. 
That's one of the things that's a struggle with some people. It's like, are you teaching these children what they need to know? Not just what you learn in school. That's good. We're grateful for teachers. But what about your experience? What does God want for you to know? So teaching is important. We're very grateful, of course, that God has given us the book of Proverbs. I mean, there you've got almost a book that's almost all about the fact of finding wisdom, of doing what's right. Right from the very beginning, it talks about, son, listen to what I want to tell you. My son, listen to here. My son, don't do this. Lord, be, I mean, son, be careful about this. And so it's important for us who maybe we're middle-aged or a little bit older, what are we doing being involved in the lives of the younger ones that we have in our church or our family, people that are important to us? So obviously, teaching is a big part of what our passage is all about. So that's part of it, but there's another thing that goes with it that's important. It's a very one that's important for us right now in our culture. It's the role of caring for people. And this was when I was you know, kind of researching some of this uh, over this week. It was very discouraging to read a lot of things that's going on in our culture and our country. It's very, very discouraging. Um, let me give you an example. No, oh, I think I'm going to give you an example. It's not coming up. Let me try one more time here and see if it comes up. Oh, here it is. Let's see if we can go back here and get it. Well, we're missing one, but we'll take it. This passage, this, this little section right here was written by Bob Deffenbaugh. Many of you know Bob. He's a remarkable guy. He's written so many books and stuff. He's a remarkable good, good guy. And he wrote a couple little things about the importance for the family. And he talks a lot about what is the role when we talk about the idea that we're dealing here with our parents, how do we show respect to our parents? The whole passage is about love your parents, obey your parents. And he said, here's what we need to do. He said, the first is the bearing and raising of children to bring them from the absolute dependence of the womb to the independence of the adolescence to the maturity of adulthood. In other words, for parents, if you've got young children, the goal is you know, to pray, bring them up. Do everything you can to help them, to be able to be what God would want them to be. And he said, the second one is this. It's caring for our own parents in their declining years. This is an important one. Often this is involved in the deterioration of the physical body and frequently of the mind. The more I read this, the more sad it seemed to me because our culture is moving away from the idea of, thank God I had parents that helped me to get me to this point. What can I do to help them now as they're getting old? Our culture is changing so rapidly that things are changing very quick. What does Jesus say about caring for the elderly? Turn with me, if you would, in your Bible. Turn with me, if your Bible, let me get to here. Excuse me, let me get to this. I think I've got it right here, if I can bring it up. Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. It's an interesting chapter. Matthew chapter 15. Let me read it to you. I'm picking this up. Jesus is once again having issues that are going on with the Pharisees. And they're calling him different things, and they're complaining that he's doing this. He's not doing that. He should be doing that. So here in chapter 15, Matthew chapter 15, it says, Then the Pharisees and the scribes came, away, came from Jerusalem to, 
uh, to Jesus, and they asked him, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they don't wash their hands when they eat. That is not part of the Ten Commandments. It's something that came later on among the 300 more that they added to it. And so they're saying, Jesus, your men aren't washing your hands. They ought to be washing your hands. And Jesus, it's kind of like he's saying, you know, that is so trivial compared to the bigger issue that we're dealing with here. So notice he does in verse 3. Jesus answered them. He said, and why do you break God's commandments because of your, quote, tradition? For God said, honor your father and your mother. And the one who speaks evil of father and mother must be put to death. That's pretty strong. Notice again, honor your father and your mother. And the one who speaks evil of father must be put to death. But you say, well, whoever tells his father or mother whatever benefits you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, he does not have to honor his father. Now, hear me stop real quick. This is a little bit dicey right here. Not so much dicey, but difficult. What's happening here is the Pharisees and the Sadducees are what they're doing is what we often even do today. It's like saying, you know, I'm getting older. I like to give when I die. I want the money to go to such and such so that money can be used or somebody can use it. But what's happening here is there's a thing called a korban, which was a thing of what they did, that the rabbis did particularly, of what they could say is, okay, uh, we're going to give this money as korban, which means it cannot be used for anything. It's only for the temple. And what really what they're trying to do is, how can we find a way that we can keep the money that we've got there in the temple and make sure nobody else gets it, including mom and dad? In other words, it was a way to get around it without you know, say, mom, dad, I sure would love to be able to help you, and I know the, you know, your roof is coming down and things are a little bit hard, but you know, mm, it's Corbin, I gave it to the Lord. I gave it to the Lord, and, and, and so I, we would love to help you, dad, but we really can't because it's against the law. And Jesus goes, he says, but you say, whoever tells his father or mother, whatever benefit you might have received from me is a gift committed to the temple, so he does not have to have the honor his father. In this way, you've revoked God's word because of your tradition. Jesus says, hypocrites, Isaiah prophesied, prophesied correctly about you. These people honor me with their lips, quoting from the Old Testament, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain, teaching as doctrines the commands of men. Jesus, in other words, is saying, here's a good example. You're to be the leaders, and what are you doing? Rather than helping your old mom and dad who are in their elderly years, you found a way to get around it so you don't have to give any money to grandma. And Jesus is like obviously furious in the sense of saying, you are the leaders and you found a way to work the system so that you can get away with it and never help them? And Jesus said, you're a failure because you're not doing what I've called you to do. What about our situation today? because a lot of things have changed since the time of Jesus. There was a poll that was taken on caring for elderly parents. This was several years ago, four or five, if I remember correctly, about, about how much do we, how should we be thinking we should have to care for our parents. It said over 50% of the parents, I mean, the people questioned, said that they have no responsibility for their elderly parents. 50% said we have no obligation 
to our grandparents and parents who are suffering. That's tragic. It's tragic to think that we could have a culture where half the people think we have no responsibility with the person that you brought into this world, the person that you took care of all those years, that person who's had a significant in your life. You don't think that you have any responsibility to help them now in their older years when they're struggling? What causes that? One of the things is we've seen a huge change in America, what's sometimes called the family covenant. Over generations, people have understood, you have a baby, that's great, we're going to raise that baby, we're going to do everything we can to help them to get to adulthood. We want them to see children of their own, if that God gives them that gift to do that. And they were doing that, and what we want to do is help them on their way, and it's just a given that what's going to happen is grandma and grandpa get worse and worse, that there's going to be people that are care for them. They're going to know that they're important, that they're special, special to the Lord. But our culture is turning further and further away. Michael Horton, who I have a quote from him coming up in a minute, and I know what, I liked what he said about that. He said, things have changed. He said, one of the things he quoted was from, well, many people don't like reggae singer Ziggy Marley. I'm not thinking that he's a particularly good person to be thinking about. But he has, a, a, he has uh, in his music a, a passage in the music where he says, says he calls Americans tomorrow people. Tomorrow people. What he means by tomorrow people, Americans are all about what's the newest thing? What's the best thing? What about the new iPhone? Is that going to be there? When's that going to be? Come on, I got to get the newest, the best. And he said, there's no place there for grandma or grandpa. They're living in a very different world than you're in. And he's saying, that's why he calls them tomorrow people. Tomorrow I'm going to get this new thing, this new thing, I got to keep going. And you think, what about the person that brought you into this world? Who cares? Here's one of the things that Morton, I mean, the, the Christian writer uh, wrote, Michael Wharton, said this. He said, one of the things that we're dealing with is nowism. Nowism, it's all about me right now. I want it now. What's the burger thing? Oh, not Burger King, McDonald's. Have it your way. Your white world should be your way, the way you want the world to spin. He said, that's one of the problems that we're dealing with. And here it said, here's the second one, meism. It's all about me. It's about my desires, my wants, my want, my this, my that. And he's saying, grandpa and grandma, who cares about them? Jesus cares about them. He makes that absolutely clear. One of the things that we see that's getting worse in America is patient dumping. For whatever the reason, grandma's getting old, it's hard to deal with her, she's maybe losing her mind. People come in in the hospital, drop off the person, take off, no one knows who they are, what's happening with them. It's like, well, let somebody else take care of it. It's not my business, right? What about the fact that that person brought you into the world? Do you have no, I think that you should maybe help? No. And patient dumping is getting worse in hospitals, not better. And it's saying, what's come through our culture where the person that brought you into this world feels like they have no compulsion to do anything to help? And it is tragic, and we're seeing more and more of it happening. And what's important here is to remember is every person you meet is created in the image of God. There's where like theology comes into it. Then God said, 
Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Drop down a few verses. So God created man in his own image. He created him male and female. And it's saying that person, every person, is important to God. And it doesn't matter whether grandma doesn't know what day it is or grandma doesn't know when it's time to take her pills. The point is they're still important to God. If it's important to God, it's important to us. And for a culture that's big into need, I want it my way, it keeps reminding us of saying, wait a minute, from generation after generation, it's been recognized that we who were brought into this world, that we ought to be there to help those who need help and what's going on in their life. Here's the point. If it matters to God, it ought to matter to us. If it's important to God that we're willing to care for those that are those that struggle, he said it needs to matter to us. There's a passage that Michael Horton wrote that I appreciated. Let me see if I can get it here real quick. An area where there's a lot of nursing homes and stuff. And so he writes this little area, I want this little thing I want to write to you, I read to you. He's writing here in this passage, by the way, this is Michael Horton. Uh, he's, he does a good job with this book, by the way. But he writes this little chapter. He said, you know, we're Christians. That means we're supposed to treat our elders, not just our parents, but our elders in general, with respect and dignity as the revered tutors in the home, the academy, and the culture. Now, notice what he says. He says, one of my most vivid memories of growing up is by a rest home environment is of pastors and church workers depositing their parents there, not even visiting them at Christmas or Easter. In other words, he's saying these are, these are church leaders and church pastors who don't even bother seeing grandma at all. And he says, what's happening here? He said, Christmas after Christmas, I watched my mother shop for the only gift these sad souls were going to get that year. One year, notice this, my mom typed a letter to the pastors in the surrounding area, inviting them to visit the old folks during the holidays, in spite of the fact that over half of the residents were parents of evangelical Protestants. It was the Catholics and the Episcopal churches that responded. And they already had an ongoing visitation schedule established at their place. Notice what he says here. Out of the 30 evangelical churches, not one accepted my mother's invitation. Not one accepted my mother's invitation. And then she gets a little snarly here. She said, well, I suppose that the singing Christmas tree program was much more important. Now, I'm sure that's not true of me or anybody else, but other people do things like that. And it reminds us of what God has done for us. He's looking for us in the same way. That doesn't matter if grandma can even speak or grandma, grandma knows where she's at. She has value, importance in God's eyes, and it'll be in ours as well. This is going to be increasingly an issue struggle in our world today. And this is something we need to be thinking about. That what God has called us to do is to recognize, the, like we did when we had this talk more about, um, about all these issues that are going on. His point is saying here, God has given us a responsibility 
to show that we are people that recognize that if they're loved by God, we need to love them well. And that may cost us something. Often it costs a lot. But again, it comes back to the question, what would Jesus want us to do? He's already told us what we need to do. Father, we thank you for this passage. We thank you for chapter 5. Father, forgive me for